Oh, fucking Dobby. I'm ready to blast him. Fuck! Okay, look what I got here in case he... Yep, smart, smart. Buckets and Dance Sportsland, episode 35, the Mika Nornin special. We could also call it another thing, Bill. What are we calling it this week? I think we're going to call it the basement special, and that's because I'm recording live from my basement not to wake up the missus. And, Dan, I hear you're in the unfinished basement as well. I am. First time down here. I set it myself up on the, the table I used to wrap presents away from my fiance. So it's also our Christmas Eve special. Happy holidays to all our listeners. Hopefully you're listening to this over your holiday weekend, your holiday break. We have a very special episode. We're going to talk a lot of bills. We have an awesome Buffalo sports blast from the past. Drew Willie, the old UB quarterback. And we also, just for your holiday pleasure, have an extended Q&A thanks to a, a loyal listener that hand-wrote a letter. So, Bill, it's, I, I know we're officially on break now, so I hope you're in the holiday spirit. What are, uh, what are some of your favorite holiday traditions? Well, you know, first and foremost, it's family, but it's going to be a little bit different this year. Yep. Um, so there won't be a ton of that, but still got the Christmas tree up and certainly looking forward to your 29th birthday on New Year's Eve. That's going to be a heck of a show, episode 36. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people, New Year's Eve, are probably wondering what they're going to do. You're not going down to the ball drop. I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. I got the best. This is the best deal money can buy here. If you're looking to just stay in New Year's Eve, one of our favorite local restaurants, Curry's Restaurant and Pub, right on Kenmore Ave. This is the Dan. Dan, I'm. You know. You know. I'm always looking for a bargain. I, I'd call this not a bargain because it's great food, but what a value here! You get dinner for two, the New Year's Eve special at Curry's, two unreal entrees, starches, desserts. You can add a bottle of wine. Sixty dollars? Are you kidding me? All orders must be placed by Tuesday, December 29th. I'm telling you, call Shannon at four four seven zero five zero two. You will not be disappointed on New Year's Eve night. Tell them Buckets and Dan sent you, and I do love a nice organic ad because that is what I will be doing for my birthday. I talked to my parents this afternoon about it. Obviously, we can't do a normal birthday celebration where family comes over. I mentioned this Curry's deal. They're all in on it, so we'll be doing four deep there on over at Curry's. So that'll be exciting. It is very good food. A little surprised they don't throw a vegetable in there, but, hey, I'm not a restaurant owner, so who's to say? Um, but, yeah, so this is the Christmas Eve special. I would say – you, you nailed it on the head, Bill, as you normally do. Um, it's going to be weird this year with no family, no extended family, excuse me. Even my brother's not coming in. Again, he's in California for the holidays. So it will be different. It'll be a different Christmas, a different New Year. But if you take a positive spin on it, we can create new memories, new traditions this year. So that'll be exciting. Let's, uh, we do have, before we get to some breaking news, any. Any good TV shows or movies you've seen recently, Bill? You got anything to tell? Well, I've become people? quite the connoisseur. The one show that I that I watched last night, or was really a documentary that was released on HBO, um, was the CC Sabathia one. It was released um, just this week, uh, called "Under a Grapefruit Tree," and it really highlights his alcoholism while he played in the majors. I always wish those HBO documentaries, those sports documentaries that they put out, always go a little bit longer. I would have loved to hear some crazy stories from his teammates. Um, they really didn't dive too much into that, but holy smokes, CC was pitching for years with a problem. <laughs> and Dan, do you remember that? I think it was 2015 when they were about to, um, they were in the AL East playoffs and he had to leave the team. I don't remember that. No. 
he had to leave the team right before the playoffs started, um, right before the divisional round and went straight to rehab. The story surrounding that is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's also mind-blowing that the Yankees love hefty left-handed alcoholics as pitchers with David Wells throwing a perfect game hungover or still drunk for them back in the mid-'90s. It's also interesting to note that CC came into spring training one time. Um, uh, maybe he cut out some alcohol as well, but it was well known that he cut out a particular food and lost a lot of weight, and it was Captain Crunch. And, I mean, out of all the foods, a food call or with the initial CC for CC Sabathia to cut out and lose that much weight – very entertaining, but I hope CC's doing well. I don't mean to make light of the situation. I'm just trying to stay jolly here, and that's pretty exciting. I have a show recommendation for everybody, and you can sign up on Apple TV for a free trial in case you don't have Apple TV already. Ted Lasso. I've heard from multiple people. Oh, look at how the, t- oh, how the turntables, Bill, with you having to spray Davi and me not having to backhand Reagan or Mookie here. Um, So... Where was I going? Oh, see, wow, it does throw you off there. <laughs> Ted Lasso. I've heard plenty of people give me the suggestion. It was, it's a feel-good comedy. I'm talking very feel-good. You're, it's an emotional roller coaster, but it's just such a fun, funny show. It's with Jason Sudeikis, who is great, and he is a D2 football coach that co-coaches a Premier League soccer team in England, and you'll find out the reason why throughout the show, but – it's just great. If you like coaching, if you like sports, if you just like general comedies, it's a, it's a show you can watch with anybody. So I'd highly recommend watching that over break. We'd love to hear your comments if you can tweet at us throughout the winter break here. But let's talk quickly before we get to our Q&A. The Bills Stadium. Cuomo releases something. It is kind of funny that he didn't consult Poland cars. Poland cars kind of uh, a little pissed off. You can tell from his press release that he wasn't consulted. He said there needs to be a plan in by next week for it to be feasible. Cuomo talks about 6,700 people being allowed, that they would get tested on site and then be allowed in. No further direct directions, I guess, or at least that I've read about that. I would assume family and friends first, then prominent, you know, sweet ticket holders, and then guys like us get put in a raffle if there's anything left. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Dan, there's no way at this point they're not having people in, especially if they, they get everyone excited like this, so... 6,700 people, it's going to look totally different. But at this point, there will be people in the stadium. And, and if you're going to put a hard number like that, 6,700, I, I would imagine that that's going to be um, – that'll be the number. Dan, the other thing is uh, kind of breaking news as well to Buckets and Dan. We, we're going to talk so much Buffalo Bills today. But huge news because the Sabre schedule was just released. And thank the good Lord, they are off on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, because you wouldn't want two of our Buffalo teams conflicting. That's actually a really good point. Looks like we start January 14th at home. Oh, so this is how it's going to work a lot. You're going to play back-to-back against teams. Very interesting. So we start January 14th and 15th at home versus Washington. I'll tell you what this will do, Bill. <clears throat> Just looking at the schedule, how you play clumps two in a row, basically the whole year. I, I did see that the Kings and – I guess in the West Coast it's a little different because they're a little more spread out. The Kings and Ducks play like a five-game series out of nowhere. But it looks like just back-to-backs a lot. It, you know what will be interesting, Bill, is if we do – I would assume we go back to normal divisions next year, you're going to create quite a bit of rivalries playing games like this. You know what I mean? I think, agree. Think about when we played the Flyers the last time. seems like, I don't know, 20 years ago that we've faced the Flyers in the playoffs. Think about – you can still talk about guys that you hate from that team, Scott Hartnell, guys like that. So I, I think this will be very interesting. It's, it, and you're only playing the teams in your division. So we will only be playing for 56 games the Bruins, Rangers, Penguins, Flyers, 
Devils, Capitals. Did I mention everybody? I think I mentioned everybody. Yes. So we're actually going to get into a little more Sabres in our Q&A. But, um, yeah, so I'm glad we were able to drop those two things. Hopefully we have a lot more information by the next time we talk. But Bill's Stadium looks like it's getting ready for playoffs. Sabres schedule got released today. Go ahead. And and I know a lot of people have been relying on me for the breaking news about the vaccine. What I'm hearing right now is it's starting to get distributed around Western New York. So that's good news as well. Perfect. I, I can't, I, you know, we haven't flooded in our inboxes on all social media and email accounts that they need their updates from Bill on the Pfizer vaccine. So thank you for that. Let's head it over to our Q&A. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? All right, Dan, let's get into our Q&A and... Dan, we both love local business, and we certainly both love local restaurants. So this Q&A segment is sponsored by Bari Italian Street Food on 550 North French Road in Amherst. The legendary Michael P. Rizzo, the owner. Check them out at their Facebook page, Bari Italian Street Food. We also have a friend of the show, Paul Fran, who's who's running that place over there. But they have amazing, amazing specials. Um, just go to their Facebook page. It's all you need to do. And, and Dan, Dan who, who should we say sent them? Buckets. Uh, buckets and Dan sent. All right, Buckets and Dan, that's fine. You want to start us up here? Yeah, let's get into our Q&A, Dan. Our first question comes to us from Brandon from the North Tonawanda Police Department, patrolling the streets, making sure everyone's safe in North Tonawanda. He asked, Dan, should we be more concerned with gunning for the two seed or resting starters to avoid injury? Late fourth quarter against Denver was certainly scary. Yeah, it was scary. And Brandon, we always appreciate your input, former Kenmore West football player and coach, Kenmore West Hall of Famer, now patrolling the streets of our rival NT. I'm sure he runs into a lot of, a lot when bars were open, runs into a lot of former NT football players with their varsity jackets on at the local Climax and whatnot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think that McDermott, I did read that McDermott's on record saying there is a home field advantage regardless of fans, and now I think they were told ahead of time that they will start to have fans, just like we talked about earlier in the show. But he also talks about, and I think this is important, especially in a year with this COVID stuff, normalcy, sleeping in your own bed, going through your normal routine in um, in your own comforts of your building and your stadium, your home. Uh, these you know, travel restrictions are weird for, with these teams. They have to shut down in their own hotel rooms, not talk to anybody. So they'd much rather be at home. I think it's important that – I mean, listen, we put Kansas City on this pedestal, but they could get upset in the second round. Crazier stuff has happened, and then all of a sudden we have home field throughout to the Super Bowl. I think the two seed's very important. I understand the point, especially when guys like Diggs and White um, come up a little lame at the end of – at the end of the game versus Denver. So I think maybe be cautious with these last two weeks. Hopefully we build enough lead where that's something to think about toward the end. But we also might ha not have to worry about it because if we win Monday in Indianapolis and in, excuse me, Indianapolis beats Pittsburgh on Sunday and Green Bay beats Tennessee Sunday night, then we have a complete lock on the two seed going into week 17 where we can absolutely rest our starters. And I know former guest Greg Thompson mentioned this. That's an ideal situation because then you can rest your starters, probably lose versus Miami, locking them in for the that seventh seed. So then they come to Buffalo for that playoff game. And that is probably the team I most want to face, a rookie oh, yeah. quarterback, a, a, and uh, I guess opportunistic defense that gives up yards and just happens to be the right place at the right time sometimes. I don't know. I, I, that'd be the team. Or because otherwise, you're most likely facing Baltimore, which 
Again, Baltimore doesn't scare me. I still think that the Bills win, but I believe they're a much bigger threat than Miami. So I do think it's important, but hopefully we don't even have to worry about it. Let's go to our next question. Alexis from Amherst. Thank you, sweet thing, for writing in. Would you consider, Buckets, this one's for you. I think she wrote Stud Muffin, which is weird. Would you consider this a disappointing season for UB football after the MAC championship loss? 100% not a disappointing season. I'd call it an extreme success, Dan. And Alexis, thank you for writing in. Um, For me, that game against Ball State, the MAC championship, was a huge disappointment. UB was tested, and they, they were put in positions where they had to throw the ball. They couldn't rely on the run. And you saw their weaknesses, and they were not ready for that. They were not prepared for that. Dan, how crazy is it that they kicked, I believe, one field goal all year? So in situations down in the red zone, they couldn't even kick the ball. So they they weren't really tested. And obviously in a shortened season, they weren't tested. But it's really going to come down to the ball game against the bowl game against Marshall on Christmas Day. If they struggle there, um, yeah, then you're, you're certainly talking about a disappointing ending to an otherwise good season where a lot of adversity was there. They didn't have any COVID scares or anything like that. They had a really solid year. And I think what's going to be interesting going into the offseason is the Lance Leipold thing. I know he was talked about for Illinois. Um, Boise State's job just opened up, and you still have to wonder if if one of those bigger jobs comes open, if he's going to really take the bait and leave UB. I agree with that. I and what what I found very interesting and very fun. I know I t- I texted you this today. The all MAC offensive line, all five offensive linemen belong to the UB Bulls, and I, they were graded as one of the best offensive lines all year. It really says about really says a lot about the the line that Jared Patterson. And the rest of the group was able to run behind. So good for them for getting that acknowledgement. Next question comes to us from, and this is a new, I guess, new listener, Dan. We're expanding our reach. This is from Donnie Three Nuts from mm. New Jersey. Oh, Donnie. Um, and, he write, and he writes in, Dan, how bad did the Jets mess this whole thing up? If they have the second pick overall and Trevor Lawrence goes to Jacksonville, should they draft a non-quarterback or should they stick with, with the script and maybe draft a field's Earl Wilson, who looked really good this week in their bowl game for BYU, or maybe trade the pick and build around Sam Darnold. Well, a lot of situations there, Donnie. We appreciate you writing in. I'm sure you're hitting the gym. Actually, I'm sure you're furious that Cuomo's closing down gyms. Um, He's a New Jersey guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, I thought (laughs) you're right. I forgot. Donnie, three nuts from Jersey. So I'm sure you're loving right now all the gyms you're able to get to, get some curls in, maybe wear, uh, (laughs) wear one of those wife beaters around i'm sure you're really loving it your hair spiked up so uh, regarding the jets listen here's the thing nothing's nothing certain there's no reason the jags can't beat the bears or i believe i forget who they played last week so but if if we go into the scenario where the jets did screw this up by beating a rams who i still consider a super bowl contender so that's hilarious that they lost to the jets but um and real quick real quick let me just side note here this is, uh-huh. to me, what's most impressive about Sean McDermott, okay? I'm talking even even the year we went 6-10, and 10, all three years, knock on wood here, the Bills have yet to have a letdown loss, okay? They, they don't lose to teams they should beat. They might win ugly, and it might not be great like they beat the Jets this year. They do not have that loss that's a major upset, which I find remarkable right. and says a lot about their coaching staff and their belief system and how prepared they are each week. But regardless, I'm going back here. I would say if it were me, see, it's tough. The more I'm trying to read up on these guys in the front. From what I read and from what you listen to, the gap between Lawrence and 
fields is sm- is bigger than the or excuse me smaller than the gap from no no bigger excuse me it's bigger than the gap from fields to, fields to Wilson so I guess those two guys are on the table I wouldn't want to settle for a franchise quarterback I mean unless they've done their research and they like one of those guys I still think if you bring in the right coach and bring I mean this GM still trying to turn over the roster I still think you build around Donald think about drafting that Penny Sewell or whatever now you got bookend tackles for the next ten to fifteen years surrounding your franchise quarterback who I think is just shell-shocked and maybe he will never maybe he will never survive in New York because of what's happened to him already but guess what then next year when you draft your franchise quarterback he's got bookend tackles I say you keep building around the quarterback position and then set yourself up later for a franchise quarterback I don't think you just reach for a quarterback there Dan for me two quick points this that that win over LA was really monumental and franchise changing more than just the Trevor Lawrence thing you think about that job being a very attractive job yep. for some top-level head coaches. Now you win. Now you got the second pick overall, maybe a head coach who was just in love with your head coach who you wanted who was in love with going there with a franchise rookie quarterback. They got talent. All of a sudden, their pool of candidates may have shrunk a little bit because now it's like, ah, so you who do you want it to? And it's Joe Douglas, and, and your your ideologies might not match. You know what I'm saying? I agree with that. And you know what you have to do now? Now what you have to do is switch your gears from a Brian Dable or Eric Bieniemy to a culture and process guy like McDermott. Okay, McDermott came in with a quarterback he knew he wasn't going to win a franchise – or excuse me, win a Super Bowl with, but he set the tone and set the franchise up. So maybe they take that tackle, they take their lumps with – and they trade Darnold for even more picks, and you bring in a guy like Tyrod or, you know, bring back Fitz or just one of those placeholder guys, a Dalton or something like that. Do your best to win as much there. Try to set yourself up. Be shrewd with moves like Brandon Bean was, which is why it's so remarkable looking back at how this team was built over three years. It's so impressive, and we'll get to that question a little bit. But I think that that's when your attention has to shift when it comes to head coach. One more thing on the whole, the whole quarterback thing, and there's going to be a lot of talk about it leading up to the draft. I think there is a smaller gap. I really agree with that between – between Lawrence and Wilson, Wilson's the guy that I like in this draft. Herbert was the guy I liked in last year's draft. I think Wilson by far is a better quarterback than Fields. I just go back to Dwayne Haskins. They scheme guys open at Ohio State. They have so much more talent, and Justin Fields to me is is one of those guys. I think he'll be a little better than Haskins, and Haskins is another story we can get to at another time. But, I Dan, did. let's go to Sherry uh, from wait, Cincinnati. Real quick, I, I did read yeah. before we get to Sh- uh, Cheryl or Sharon? Cheryl. Sherry, excuse me. I forgot the L. It was supposed to be Cheryl. Um, I did reach out to our resident Jets expert, Cole Coyle, and he said that he would take Penny Sewell. The Jets still have Seattle's number one, so he thinks that Wilson could be available there. That's where he's wrong. Wilson's not making it out of the top 15. He probably won't make it out of the top 10. And building around, he doesn't hate the idea of building a stud offensive line around Sam. It would be nice to see Sam with a real coach so there are a certain uh, there's a pocket of Jets fans that still feel for Donald and think he can succeed which might the boat might have passed on that but who knows so I'm sorry go ahead Cheryl from Cincinnati oh this is for me Cheryl from Cincinnati what do you asks what do you think of the college football playoff did we get screwed do small schools get screwed every year with this process a hundred percent Cheryl Sherry to money grab a hundred percent thank you for writing in from Cincinnati, and thank you for gifting the Bills with that big win over Pittsburgh. Yes, Dan, I did a little research here, and I just because there's just the same teams over and over, and I'm I'm a casual 
as casual as it can get in terms of as in terms of my fandom with college football. And I think a lot of people are like me. And I think we're starting to get a little bit drowned out, to be honest with you. I have totally lost. I don't care about watching what the top four are every week because, you know, every single year it's going to be the same. Dan, I did a little research here. This college football playoff with four teams has been around for seven years. Okay, so if you think four teams over seven years, that's 28 spots available. Yep. Right. There have been 11 teams total in those seven years. And if you go back only to 2015, six years, there have only been nine teams. Wow. And I don't want to have to waste the time reading it. But, yeah, you're, you're squeezing the guy. The teams like Cincinnati, the teams that go undefeated, the teams like Texas A&M, you know, to have these unbelievable seasons and be shut out of a, of a chance to win a national championship is a joke. This needs to get put up, and I think it will. Because I think we're starting to, everyone's starting to feel like this. You know, people are starting to get sick of the name brands. We want to see there's more teams than just the big four, the big six. What do you think about this idea? What do you think about this idea, if you don't mind me jumping in? You have a six-team playoff. Top two teams get a bye into the semifinals. The bottom two teams play the best non-power five-two teams in the country. And Dan, I mean... You think about revenue, and that's what college football is trying to do. That would only increase revenue. Yep. That would totally increase revenue and give those top teams some more incentive to continue to play hard throughout the year. Yep. My guess would my my vote would be that or an eighteen playoff. Just extend it a little bit. Obviously, you'd have crying concern from the nine and ten seed. You're always going to have that, though. Of course, yep. but those teams aren't going to have the same argument as as a Fips, team like right. Cincinnati that went undefeated. Yep. I agree with that. I believe you're up. Um, okay, so I'm I'm sorry, Dan. We have another we have another question, and this is really just from me to you because the talk of the town was Jordan Poyer not getting in the Pro Bowl, and the Pro Bowl won't even be played this year. Um, but let's talk about the Jordan Poyer thing, and I I, I kind of want to know your opinion. Was it really that big of a snub, and and do you really care as a fan that he was not in the Pro Bowl yet again? Well, a couple things. I think. When it comes to the Pro Bowl, no, I don't, it's, it reminds me of the draft grades that come out when the draft comes out. You know what I mean? When when someone talks well about the draft grades, you're like, oh, this is sweet. I'm going to share it with my friends. And then when someone says, oh, the Bills got a D for drafting Josh Allen, what do you say immediately? Oh, these are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. You need years to figure this out. I, I think it's it's a, you know, you love when people say nice things. You you say it's irrelevant when they say bad things. What, what concerns me is, like, when it comes to, like, incentives and endorsements that these guys have in their contracts, I think it's all a, like a Ponzi scheme type thing. I mean, there's no way you could tell me as a Bills fan that Tremaine Edmonds is more deserving of a Pro Bowl than Jordan Poyer. And what's crazy to me is it's two-thirds. You have the fan vote, then players, then coaches. So I'm, I'm, I, I, there has to be colluding amongst players with their agents and whatnot, trying to vote for one another to get those incentives in. Jordan Poyer won the fan vote. He was the number one safety out of all safeties, AFC or NFC, to get voted by the fans. So when it comes to that, means that the players and coaches didn't vote for him. And I just don't know that's how that's possible. Look, at I know we're biased, but he's ninth in the NFL in tackles. He's fourth in solo tackles. He's the only safety in the top 20 in the NFL in tackles. The other 19 are linebackers. And it's not like he's doing the Paul Puzlozny where you just make a tackle six yards downfield and count that toward your tackle. He's making game-changing plays. He has two sacks, two interceptions, two forced fumbles, five pass breakups. And you don't got to tell Rachel Bush this. She's been going at anybody that will listen on Twitter. But and it wouldn't be – it'd be different if this was like the first year that he broke out or 
maybe the first year he didn't make it after a long string of making it. It's really back-to-back-to-back years that you could argue Jordan Poyer should be in the Pro Bowl that he didn't get in. So I find that crazy. I don't know the, the, the overall process, but there's a lot of players that didn't make sense. Wyatt Teller, is, the old Bill, is wide, widely regarded as the best guard in football right now. He didn't make it. Garrett Bowles, very good uh, offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos, didn't make it. DeForest Buckner didn't make it. Calvin Ridley having an unbelievable year didn't make it. But really what it comes down to is you need to have a case where your guy didn't make it and somebody that shouldn't did make it. Jamal Adams is not having a Pro Bowl year. That's ridiculous that he got in. I know it's NFC, but you also look at the AFC. You know, the you got two guys on. You got the Tyron Matthew, fine. But, I mean, those pass defenses, them and the Broncos, I think Justin Simmons, the other guy, I forget, is that his name? I don't know. But I think the Broncos guy, those are high. They give up a lot of yards. And I know that that's not all safety does. I just You can't look at it objectively and say those guys are better or having a better season, at least, than Jordan Poyer. But let's look at some other um, some other snubs here. Okay, Evan Ingram. Evan, I drop everything on a national stage. Ingram, is that his name? Did I say he right? Got, he got in. He got in. Now, again, he. so let's look at Robert Tanyan, the, the tight end for Green Bay that did not make it. Okay, Evan Ingram. 54 to 49 in catches, so five catch difference. 572 to 551 in yards, 20 yards. Guess how many touchdowns Evan Ingram has on the year, Bill? Two. One. Guess how many Robert Tanyan has? Five. Ten. Ten to one in touchdowns, and he didn't make it. Oh then, my gosh. How about James Robinson? James, undrafted free agent Robinson. He was good. Very good. <laughs> he is third in the NFL in rushing. He didn't get in over Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs' yard per carry is 3.7. Robinson's is 4.5. Robinson has more than 100 yards, excuse me, has 100 yards more overall. And Jacobs has turned the ball over twice as much. It's it's ridiculous. I don't know how it works. There's there's too many mistakes if you look at these two rosters. But the Bills shouldn't worry about it anyway because they'll be in the Super Bowl and they're not allowed to play in the Pro Bowl that week anyway. So And there's no game. So actually, they, 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 they this is the year that it sucks to get snubbed regardless. So, yeah, and that's that's unreal information. I got to ask you this. This just kind of popped up in my head. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, coach of the year and executive of the year, and, and McDermott's name's getting floated around there, but not really in the top, top level it, yet. It Do you is, think McDerm- it's bad? I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm already angry about it. It's baffling to me. I, I don't get how he's not the front runner. Okay, he has a chance to finish 13 and three. When was the last time the Buffalo Bills finished 13 and three? I think it was 1990. It's, they've won the division for the first time in 25 years. The two guys that he's primarily up against are fighting for a playoff spot. One of them probably won't even make the playoffs with Cleveland's Kevin um, Stefanski and Brian Flores in Miami. And he really, he got snubbed last year, but I guess Harbaugh had the – okay, so Harbaugh's record was 13-3 and three or something like that. So if you look at overall record, what he's accomplished, you look at the move of Stephon Diggs and – the move of drafting Josh Allen when nobody liked that, that's an easy executive of the year for Brandon Bean. They he you know, guys like guys that were afterthoughts on teams, John Brown, Cole Beasy, are unbelievable for this team. You talk about executive of the year, Bill. Okay. People mock out the Bills for trading that Mahomes pick. Think about what the Bills got back for that Patrick Mahomes pick. You have an all pro, pro bowl cornerback. 
you have you use that that pick that you got from Kansas City that year to move up to draft your franchise left tackle in Deion Dawkins. The following year, you use that first round pick Kansas City gave you, along with maneuvering, to draft your Pro Bowl middle linebacker. And that year, you also draft your franchise quarterback. Think about the cornerstones of this team that that trade set up. That is an unbelievable job by Brandon Bean. I know we're only looking at positives right now, but it is funny. I know I, I'm going to mention this earlier, but we talked. We went from Think about how we thought of the trade deadline. How does Brandon Bean not trade for a, a nose tackle? What, what is he doing? He's sitting on his hands and whatnot. Look at the defense since then. He's just a smarter, better-looking version of every single one of us. Dan, you hit it on the head. The only guy who I think is is should be in the top two with McDermott, and I'm trying to be as un, I'm really trying to be as unbiased as, as possible. Is Kevin Stefanski? Yes, and I, I like Brian Force. And the, now the only thing. The only thing I would dis well see the, here are the two cases. Obviously, Stefanski took that roster that greatly underperformed, and he got them to perform. To me, he got them to perform what they should be doing. Is anyone really exceeding expectations there? To me, what Brian Flores has done is he made a huge bold move that has worked out. Now you can look at strength of schedule and his two are really outperforming fits and whatnot, but that's the type of move that's a make or break, like a boom or bust move, and that's how that's would be the argument for him. But I, I don't think it's even close that McDermott should be coach of the year. We do have one final rapid-fire segment here. We have our good friend. Now, we mentioned that we have former UB Bull Drew Willie. Well, we have former UB ice hockey player Eric Paradowski of Care Team Solutions. Now, unfortunately, he wanted this segment sponsored by Care Team Solutions, but unfortunately, my fiance is also a nurse recruiter, so if you are a traveling nurse, I recommend reaching out to Cassie Wagren at GHR Nursing. Uh, sorry, Eric, but we do appreciate you handwriting a letter <laughs> With this many questions, so we're going to fire them off here. He wants to know, what are our realistic expectations for Taylor Hall? Here's what I'm going to say, Eric. Looking at the past Taylor Hall, it's a 56-game season. I'm going to say he's going to play 50 games, okay? In seasons of at least 60 games, he has a point per game of .88, which would put him around 44 points in 50 games. However, his career goals per game is .34, which would be around 17. You're playing next to Jack Eichel. I'm going to ju jump that way up. You're going to be around 23. His career assist per game, .55, would put him around 28. I'm going to say it's up to 33. So I have 56 points in 50 games and 62 if he plays in all 56 games. Bill, is that I have 50 points, 50 games. So point a game, perfect. How about the Sabres playoff chances? We mentioned earlier what the divisions are like and how the schedule is going to work. I say they're extremely slim, seeing as how you have to beat out two of Boston, Philly, the Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh. And maybe the Islanders set, are set up for a letdown season. Maybe Pittsburgh finally hits a wall. Maybe same thing with Washington. But Boston and Philly are just head and shoulders better than you. And what did you – I mean, look at your roster compared to the other rosters, man. And that's <laughs> not even to mention the fact that the Rangers upgraded. We'll see if the Devils are scrappy. I mean, it's it's – what I'm looking for this year, and I'm, I'm just little baby steps because, you know, we've only taken steps backward as a Sabres fan. We need Tage Thompson and Middlestead, who we'll get to in a second, to take positive steps and be NHL players. We need Taylor Hall to love it here and re-sign, maybe the goalies to look competent, and Skinner to bounce back. Those would be an ideal scenario. And probably if those happen, you are making the playoffs, but hopefully we hit on three or four of those things. Yeah, I was kind of actually hoping maybe Tampa Bay would be in our division because they just lost Kucherov for the year, having hip surgery. Um, but, you know, maybe you can win one extra game there. But how about, the way, they, how about the way they've finagled their salary cap, able to put They're, him on? It's not, it's not over for them. So they still have to make more moves? They still have to make more moves. They're still over the cap. So that's going to be interesting to see. And, and guys are still signing with teams. So, 
the, the NHL's it's a very fluid situation right now. Mike as we, Hoffman as we is not towards signed. January thirteenth. What? Mike, Mike Hoffman's not signed. All four goalies that I wanted the Sabers to go target have not been traded. The two from Arizona, two from Columbus. So hopefully the Sabers can maybe make one more move. Um, Casey Middlestead, are we done with him? What is the timeline? Eric wants to know. I still look at him as a trade chip, maybe even before the season for one of those goalies I just mentioned. His ceiling yeah. is a a third line center to me. This year, I mean, this is the year for him. If he doesn't, be, if he, if he does not produce, then then I'm done with him. But I'm willing to give him this full season. All right, quickly, we're gonna keep running through here. Running back concerns for the Bills. They have no game changing speed. I would agree with that, but I think as a whole, the running game has looked much better since the bye week. They've literally caused teams to quit the back to back weeks, just trying to pound the ball at the end with their run game. And honestly, who cares with the way this offense is humming with the passing game? I'm going to get to this point in our Bills preview about our run game more extensively. But for me, I think we're kind of seeing very slowly. I think Moss is slowly overtaking kind of that 1A role. And I think we're starting to realize that Zach Moss is a guy who who kind of needs volume. We see him start. He's a physical runner. He's getting better as games go. And I think it's going to turn into a situation where Singletary is going to be more of the change of pace guy. And we're going to give Moss those carries to get him in rhythm in a game. And I kind of like the way his game's progressing this year. Agreed. How about who will the quarterback for the Patriots be next year? So I did a little research there. there th now, again, I don't know how Track views the cap in terms of how much it's coming down and how much that has to play into it and who they have to resign and whatnot. I did reach out to my cousin, Dan, had a great conversation with him, our Patriots insider. But they have the third most cap right around $68, $69 million. So would they want to take on a big contract? You know, the buzz in Boston is getting Garoppolo back. That's still such a pipe dream to me. I don't know why San Francisco would do that. Um, and would they take on a big-name quarterback like Stafford or Matt Ryan? Would they want a placeholder along with a first-round or second-round pick like a Andy Dalton, Tyrod, Marcus Mariota? Would they want a guy that another team gave up on, Sam Darnold, um, Trubisky, Wentz? I certainly would love to see Stidham because he must be awful if Belichick still refuses to play him, which I think is so great. You should, and I, I really hope the tide turns on that crumogeny um, piece of crap, Bill Belichick. You should see how he still treats people. Now, again, it's all fine and dandy, and you're lovable when you're doing that winning Super Bowls. I can't imagine it's going too well right now with the way their organization is and the way he still treats media. But what do I know? I'm in Buffalo, and I've always hated him. So I would say, and, and Dan said the realistic thing is, the, he goes, the last thing you want to do is hope. So um, what he's saying that they're probably going to settle for a Tyrod Taylor or Mitch Trubisky. I don't, you know what, I think I think it's going to come down to two guys. Um, and before I say that hot take on this Bills game, I think you're going to see both Stidham and Cam Newton play. But for me, it's, it's going to be Trubisky or it's going to be Garoppolo because I think Shanahan isn't too fond of Garoppolo. He's been so injury prone. And I think they think that they can do better there. And I know Belichick obviously loves Garoppolo. If he had it his way, Garoppolo – would have been a starting quarterback a couple years ago. Call me crazy. I think Josh Rosen's in the best spot of his career right San now. San Fran, he might start. Yeah, getting signed by off the practice squad to the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. Um, Dan, will the Mets ever be good? I do think they're going to be good just because their new owner is worth $14.6 I think that certainly helps in baseball where there's no salary cap. Um, I think they get one of, if not both, George Springer and Trevor Bauer to take a solid step forward this year, and I think they squeak into the playoffs. Will Passman catch a deer this year? Apparently, he's already caught two, and my goodness, does that man make a mean venison queso. If you haven't had that yet, I highly recommend it. 
I'm thawing some venison right now. A friend of the show uh, gave me some venison and thawing it right now. Can't wait. Okay. Um, he also, <laughs> Eric also writes in. Now, these are all Eric's. These are rapid fire, and we really, truly appreciate Eric from um, from Care Team Solutions sending this handwritten letter in of points. He says, Mooney Softball League does not get talked about enough. Not a question, just an observation. I think that's fair, but I think that the Lepovitches have taken over the league, and you know I hate giving them credit for anything. Um, will Eric be invited to either of our weddings? No, but I would say the stag will be fun for both of us, and I'm looking forward to you losing hundreds of dollars in that dart game like you did at Sean's um, stag. So thank you for that. And Buckets, last question. Buckets, does your back hurt from always carrying the podcast? Uh, yes, but I think it's from poor posture. Okay, fair enough. That is our Q&A. If you have any questions that you want discussed on air, please tweet us. Hashtag Q&A4, the number four, B and D. Or you can email us, or you can just text us, or you can send us a letter like Eric did. We really appreciate that. We were just humming along there, Bill. Let's now recap Bill's Broncos and the AFC East Championship and preview Bill's Patriots. Here we go! Buckets, the Buffalo Bills, for the first time since 1995, are your AFC East Division champs. How good did it feel on Saturday? How great are Saturday football games? Man, it was unreal. I mean, I I don't even want to even start to put into words. Um, Went to the airport late at night. Um, There was a lot of idiots out there, and I was freaking out just for the Bills' sake the entire time of, you know, as, as Bill's players were driving by, you had some absolute losers screaming into the car. How dumb, how really dumb do you have to be to do that? To have Tremaine Edmonds had 15 people pounding on his window. I, I was right there in front, and there was just people hitting the cars. I mean, for the 90% of the people who were there with the mask on doing the right thing, um, it was cool, and it was worth going to, but the 10% just made me really uncomfortable. And I'll say this. If Deion Dawkins tests positive for COVID, I I have the the mental snapshot. In, oh my god! I have the I have the mental snapshot in my brain of where and when it happened. That is horrifying to hear. So let's bring it back to a positive note. Bill, the 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 Buffalo Bills went into Denver and put an absolute beatdown on the Denver Broncos. It seemed like we scored 15 touchdowns. We end up only scoring, not only, but we end up scoring 48 points due to how many touchdowns were called back. Let's recap our keys and takes before we get to our takeaways. Let's see what we got here. My first, my only key actually was to pressure Drew Locke into making mistakes. We did get six pressures on him, including three sacks. One of them, obviously, a huge strip sack from Trey White in which Jerry Hughes picked up the ball. What was funny about this play was Jerry Hughes picked up the ball going the opposite way when Teron Johnson probably could have just scooped it and walked into the end zone. Jerry Hughes basically takes it from his teammate. I think all of Buffalo between – a defensive lineman running with the ball, how he's holding the ball, and how often penalties get called on plays like that are just saying, go down, don't turn the ball back over. He jukes and jives his way into the end zone for a monster touchdown. Mario Addison and Ed Oliver also get sacks. I thought the defense as a whole did a great job. The only time they really, I mean, they got put in a bad situation and that Roberts muff, but I, I thought they really did a nice job the whole day. 100% Dan and, and my that was my match for the game with special teams and, and Roberts never does that and I'll trust him not to put the ball on the ground again um, but quickly my two keys were to handle the pressure and blitz 
Um, and they faced 18 blitzes, allowed eight pressures overall, but only one sack. I do have an interesting and, stat real quick, to, not to interrupt. Yeah. They, according to Pro Football Focus, they, so Allen um, actually went 28 for 40. And out of those 12 interceptions, nine were called bad throws, which I thought was odd. I don't even remember him throwing. I guess the I remember one throw to Diggs was way over his head, and the one on the sideline, I guess you might call a bad throw since Diggs had his man beat. But did he – It was. I have a hot take for you. Maybe the throw against Jacksonville to Robert Foster, but besides that, has Allen had a better deep throw in his career than that one? That was like out of a video game, how accurate, and that dropped right into the bucket to Stephon Diggs. Dan, that was a heck of a throw, but I, the Kumaro throw was potentially the best throw of his season. See, I don't like, it's crazy to me that we've come accustomed to it. Like that throw in the Throvers Pittsburgh to Gabe Davis, Babe Davis, I'm going to start calling him now, by the way, to Babe Davis in in the back of the end zone. Those are two unbelievable throws, absolute ropes. He had a throw in the second quarter to Diggs at a simple out, but it was just a dime and the rhythm was there. And it just, I sat there after and kind of like, that was so easy for him. And that's the progression that he's taken from last year. That throw yep. was, was not a gimme in his second year. And for him to make that throw and no, no one even talked about it. That's, that's where we're at. We're, that's where we're at with Allen. And it's just unbelievable to watch. And you mentioned Diggs. Him and Beasley combined for 19 catches, 259 yards. That was your second key to attack the new cornerbacks. They looked like they were on ice skates the whole game. We literally had our way with them all the times. It's really telling for an offense and a defense that when you have penalties that back you up to first and goal from the 30, and I know it's easy to say this after the fact, did you have any doubt that we would score a touchdown there? I was like, no. all right, just, just get 15 yards here, 15 yards next play. Um, that was great. <coughs> and, Bill, those are the first – the, excuse me, Beasley and Diggs both went over 100 yards receiving. That's the first wide receiver duo to do that in the same game since who? Molten Price. No, that's what I thought too. But I guess Lee Evans and Stevie Johnson did it after that. So just an interesting little tidbit. My bold take of the game was the Bills would rush for 150 yards, and I got very lucky because a 51-yard TD by Singletary at the end Pushed them over to 182, and I don't think the numbers tell the story. I think the run game was solid all game. They had that one real glaring mistake of Zach Moss not being able to pound it on fourth and goal. So that that was a little bothersome, but I thought the running game was fine the whole game. How about your bold take? Oh, sorry, Dan. It's okay. Uh, my, bold, my bold take, Dan, was that, that it would be a close game and that Drew Locke would ball out, and I was wrong. And we, we got some funny phone calls that night from my dad, Mr. O'Hare. And he, he laid it out that Chad Kelly would 100% have oh played better in that game oh. than Drew Locke played. Okay, I'm not even going to acknowledge this statement, but I do have a question for you, Bill. What is, now, I guess it depends if, if Vic Fangio stays or if, How about this? If you're John Elway, do you move on from Vic Fangio? Do you move on from Drew Locke? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, I don't. I I think you explore options, but where they're going to be drafting, Dan, they're not going to be able to draft a high-level first-round quarterback. Um, you still got Locke on a rookie deal. So, hey, look at the Josh Allen progression. And has Locke, is Locke at year two what Allen was at year two? Absolutely not. But he's shown glimpses. So I'd be willing to roll the dice for one more season. He has a punchable face, doesn't he? I mean, I, he I, really does. I'm the definition I thought he was, of – I thought he was crying. 
Yeah, I'm the definition of punchable face, but that guy has a punchable face. We mentioned our matchup. We both had the Bills winning, and the Bills do end up winning 48-19. Let's get to some takeaways. I think everybody's buzzing and talking about it. You got two things that were solidified that game. The Bills are a Super Bowl contender, and Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. Would you like to refute either of those? Oh, did it put what happened? Did we freeze? Yeah, we're good. Just keep going. Okay, so I said the Bills are are are, are have now standed their ground, stood their ground as Super Bowl contenders, and Josh Allen is a top three MVP candidate. Would you agree with both of those? Dan, I'm kind of in the same boat where you are with the and I don't have the stats and everything in front of me to back it up, but you talked you made a really, really good argument for why McDermott should be clear cut coach of the year. You made a really good argument for why Brandon Bean should be clear cut coach of the year. Executive. I really can, if I had the time and did five minutes of research, and I know everyone can, why Allen should be the MVP. I He's he's really not getting talked about in the top two or three, and he should be. We talked about Wilson as a unanimous guy five he's, weeks ago. He's, he's not going to get a vote. He's not going to get a vote again after all that talk in the middle of the year. To me, it's between two guys. And, and the one guy, he's like LeBron James. I think you can make a strong argument for him every single year. I don't think that I think that's a five to six win team without Aaron Rodgers. Yep. So Aaron Rodgers elevates that team See, from what's probably a six win team to a twelve win team. See what you just is, said there is why I think Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Because and you, I agree. You, you, I would if, go Rodgers one, and I Allen is a strong number two for me. So he still has a chance. But if if you take Josh Allen away, and we could go down a rabbit hole talking about this, Dan, and say Matt Barkley has started every single game for us. I still think we're probably an eight-win, nine-win oh, no. team. I don't agree with that, but I think if you put a competent NFL starter like Andy Dalton or somebody on the Bills, I would agree with that statement. I I think okay. the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. Now, I how about this? Fair. How about this little wrinkle? Do, and it sucks. Like it should. I know they keep talking about this on part of my take. They should just change it to the quarterback of the year award because let's say Derrick Henry ends up with two 150-yard games. He ends up with 2,100 yards rushing. How is a guy like? I mean. How like that's one of the best seasons in NFL history for running back. Why would he not be the MVP? Yeah, and I don't think he right. should be. But I'm that's it's just it, the 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 passing the way the NFL transitioned in their passing game. It makes it impossible for anybody but a quarterback to win. Think about even like like remember Randy Moss had the ridiculous season. But as a receiver, you'll never win it because if you're catching all those, that means the quarterback's throwing it to you. So they're going to have um, gaudy numbers. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know. I, that's, You're that's right. Tough. And let me just so people don't blast me this and text me about this. I think we'd top out at eight games with Matt Barkley. Okay. That would be our ceiling. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, I think my next my next takeaway is how funny like, – the, the, again, you're just checking boxes, breaking records here. They tied the NFL record for most players with a receiving touchdown. Can you name all 13 Bills that have caught a receiving touchdown this year? No, I don't even want I'm – not, I'm not mentally prepared. All right, let me just read them off for you. Guess who leads the team? That would be Beasley. That would be Babe Davis with six. Six touchdowns as a rookie. Diggs has five. Beasley has four. Croft has three. McKenzie has three. Knox has three. Brown has two. Lee Smith has one. Kumaro has one. TJ Yeldon has one. Zach Moss has one. Reggie Gilliam has one. And, of course, Josh Allen has one. That would be 13. And we'll get to that stat again in a little bit when we preview the Patriots. And my last takeaway is this defense is coming into form. They're getting takeaways when they need to. They're getting big stops when they need to. And as I said earlier, it just says a lot about Bills fans. We are such live and die at the – or what's the what's the phrase? We are the moment – what's the phrase I'm looking for here? 
I mean, we're emotional fans. We're suffocated the by the moment. We we can't just have a little um, objectivity and stuff like that. I mean, I was one of those guys clamoring that we needed defensive tackle. Well, or the defensive line that brought in all these new guys needed just some time to gel a little bit and figure out this scheme with a new defensive line coach, the only coach that was turned over from last year. So I am excited about that. That pretty can I, much. Can I do one thing? Sure. And I don't really believe this, but I'm just – I try to be as unbiased as possible. There is – there is is you said it. We're emotional, and right now people are talking Super Bowl, right? Yes. So where did that start? What week did that start for, you think, the majority of the fans? Seahawks. Okay. I would argue that it really started after the San Fran win in yeah. primetime Monday night. Yep. That was a bad team. Yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a bad team that just got beat by Dallas. Yeah. Okay? I agree with that. If you look back and you go back to, you know, we're 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 at a low point when we were four and two. We we won some some real tricky games, beat the Jets, beat the Patriots, beat Seattle, which was very impressive. The Patriots win was very we could have easily have lost that game. Yep. But, you know, we lose to the Cardinals. We could have lost to the Chargers, but they don't know how to coach themselves up, and they, they couldn't win that game. So let's get back to where I was with the Monday night game. Beat San Francisco, and then you play another primetime game against a one-loss team in Pittsburgh, and you win that game. We are now starting to see that Pittsburgh might be awful. They lose to Cincinnati. I don't know if they're going to win another game this regular season. And, yes, they beat Denver, a team that – didn't really practice the day before they had COVID issues themselves. So even yes, if, they, even played, if we they played lo- very well. Yeah. I'm just, what I'm trying to do yeah, is play a little yep. devil's advocate and yep. just like, let's temper ourselves <laughs> because I thought about this earlier, Dan, hang on one second. Yep. Thought about this earlier when I was walking the dog. I don't know emotionally where I would be or where Western New York would be if we did make a Super Bowl run. That's it's hard just, to even think about. That Johnny uh, Passman texted me and asked um, he doesn't even want us to make it to the Super Bowl part of him because of what it would do to himself if they lost, if we watched That's them. how I feel. Like, imagine imagine us getting to the Super Bowl, and it, I don't think this would happen, but, like, we lose how the Broncos lost to the Seahawks that one Super Bowl when it was just a just a beatdown from the very <laughs> beginning, what that would do to our psyche. I, I will say this. I, I certainly agree with what you're saying, and I, I don't. I still think they lose to the Chiefs, if I can be completely honest, if they even, yeah. if they even get to the Chiefs. I think Bills fans really are underestimating that the Chiefs are 23-1 and in their last 24 football games. And, yeah, they may win it by one score here and there, but that's the best team in football still by far. I don't care what anybody says. So that's all for Denver. Now let's preview this Monday night football matchup versus the New England Patriots. Bill, the 11-3 and Buffalo Bills will travel to Foxborough and take on the 6-8 and New England Patriots. I don't know if you caught this commercial that was – the advertisement for it on the last Monday Night Football game, but it was a 90-second ad, and the only thing mentioned about New England was at the end when it just said, at New England, which is mind-boggling. Shows how crazy 2020 really is, that that's where we're at. Um, but let's take a look. It's I got some interesting stats here, Bill. So it, it, the year is 2020. We play the Patriots twice a year, so this will be the 40th game that we have against the New England Patriots this century. The all-time matchup, we're down 44-76-1. We're 0-1 in the postseason, and that is since 1960. So the Bills have had 39 games against the Patriots since 2000. How many wins do the Bills have in those 39 games? 
Dan, I was taking care of the dog. Okay. I, I, I don't know. All right. Dude, did you hear the question? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay. So the this will be the 40th game versus the Patriots since 2000. In those previous 39 games, how many wins do the Bills have? So you're going back 20 years. I'm going to say eight. They have six wins in 39 games. They went on a 15-game losing streak from 2003 to 2011. So let's review. <laughs> Instead of going the last five times we've faced New England, let's review every single win the Bills have had since 2000. It started back – actually, the first game the Bills played – against the Patriots this millennium, was a 16-13 overtime win versus New England. Steve Christie hits a 48-yarder at the end of regulation to tie it, 32-yarder to win it. John Freeze and Drew Bledsoe combined to go for uh, 14 for 26 with two interceptions. That might have been the indication they needed to draft a quarterback for a backup for Bledsoe. And the two interceptions were by none other than John Holosek and Ken Irvin. Sammy Morris and Sean Bryson combined to, to combine, excuse me, for 105 yards on 23 carries. Antoine Smith, also on that team, goes just three carries for 13 yards. He leaves for New England the next year. They win a Super Bowl. Okay. Now we take it all the way over to 2003, one of the best games, obviously, in Bill's history. We always remember it. 31 nothing season opener. Lawyer Malloy signed that week from New England. Bills pick off Tom Brady four times, two from Takeo Spikes. One from Nate Clements, one from Sam Adams, the defensive tackle who takes it all the way back. Travis Henry, 27 carries for 89 yards, two touchdowns. Bill, are you listening? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Okay. A tight end that day caught one pass for seven yards and a touchdown. Can you name that tight end? Tim U.S. Dave Moore. Dave Moore, the old Buccaneer. Now we take it all the way to 2011. 34-31. 34-31. It's the the infamous, excuse me, the famous Drayton Florence game. The Bills pick off Brady four times again, including that Drayton Florence pick six. The other three Bills to have an interception that day: George Wilson, Brian Scott, and Leotis McKelvin. I think the McKelvin one was a huge one. That was toward the end of the first half, I believe, when they could have went up two scores. Fitz throws. Dan, where where were we for that one? We were at the uh, West Campus um, Student Center. I don't even know what they call that. The, yeah. the lounge. Yeah. Um, in Cortland, yep. He fits throws for 369 yards, including touchdown passes to Scott Chandler, Stevie Johnson. Donald Jones has five catches for over 100 yards. Freddie has one TD and 74 yards, including the long run to ice the game, and Lindell kicks the field goal to win it at the buzzer. The next win comes – the next two wins are just irrelevant to me. Uh, let's see. Seven. This is December of 2014, last game of the year. The, the Pats are 12-3. and three. They rest all their starters, and Kyle Orton and Doug Marone team up to give the Bills their first winning, rec- winning record in a decade and only second since 1999. Oh, my gosh, this organization was so bad for so long. That was the last game of the year. They win 17-9. Then, against the third-string quarterback, Rex Ryan, puffs his chest out, shuts out the Patriots, win 16-0 in October of 2016, his last year as coach of the Bills. Zach Brown had 17 tackles, a sack, and three tackles for loss. Wild game for Zach Brown. Then, this past year, this pa- yeah, this past uh, November, excuse me, they, go- they call it the Justin Zimmer game for a reason. The Patriots are going in to score either a tying field goal or the winning touchdown. Zimmer comes around on a great hustle play, by the way. Kyle Williams-esque punches the ball out from Cam Newton. Bills win 24-21. All right, now let's talk about that game a little bit. 
Let's talk about that game. I'm going to go. Oh, I have it in the wrong one. Hold on one second. Let me scroll down. Okay. That game, the Bills had 149 passing yards. That is the second worst all year. The only time they threw for less was against Kansas City. New England has allowed under 200 passing yards, actually, each of the last four games. So that'll be a nice matchup, the passing defense versus the Bills passing offense. The Bills only had 109, excuse me, the Bills had 190 yards rushing on 38 attempts that game. It's their most rushing yards, most rushing attempts, and fewest passing attempts all year that game. New England, that's the most rushing yards allowed all season. That was a horribly windy, that was the crazy windy game, right? So they weren't passing yeah. at all. New England, that was the most until this past week, New England gave up 250 rushing yards to Miami. New England had 188 yards rushing themselves that game, their third most all year. Um, third most versus the Bills, but since that game oh, – oh, this is important. Since that game, if you take out the Arizona game, which was wild because they have a running quarterback, the Bills have only given up 81 yards in their last five games rushing, which I which is great, and it's a, it's a vast difference from earlier in the year, so they're really starting to come together. My first key – all right, it's going to be right along that that running game what and whatnot. It's going to be load up the box, force Cam Newton to throw. Listen to these stats. My goodness, this passing attack is abysmal. They are third last in passing yards, second last in pass attempts, and they're last in intended air yards. They get pressured on 25% of their dropbacks. That's wild. Cam in his last four games averaging just 121 yards a game. He's got one passing touchdown, three interceptions. He's only been throwing 20 20 uh, times a game, but he's also averaging 37 yards rushing. He has two rushing TDs on 39 rushes. That's, again, in the last four games. So speaking of that rushing attack, it's they have the third most rushing attempts, which makes sense because of how few passing attempts they have. They have the fifth most uh, yards rushing, sixth most yards per game, second most first downs by the run, and third most yards before contact, which I know it's a large sample size, but also means they're getting a decent push. I did find it interesting. When you think Cam Newton, you think a running quarterback and whatnot. They have only used 48 run-pass options all year. That's right in the middle. It's 14th in the NFL. You look at Baltimore, they're first in the league with 173. The Bills are sixth with 78. And out of those RPOs, they only pass 35% of the time. Think about the Bills. I don't think I, – I was shocked at how – how high, excuse me, I was shocked at how low this number was. 72% of the time the Bills pass out of RPO. I don't think I've ever seen Josh Allen hand the ball off on those RPOs. He's so confident and he's dealing right now. Patriots do have a top, they are top 10 in the NFL in yards after catch per completion. So that's really the only way their passing game works. So we do need to tackle well, but I think you load up the box, take away the run, you force Cam Newton to beat you because he stinks right now. And, I, and it is disappointing to see. I like Cam Newton. I hate that he went to New England, but he looks like a shell of himself. He really does, Dan, and that would really be one of my keys, but you did a great job of explaining it. My key really turns into my matchup as well, and you get slightly aroused when you hear maybe Joe Marino say checking boxes, and that's yep. something that you say a lot. This is a box checker for Josh Allen. Oh, yeah. He has had his woes against New England, and going back to November 1st of this year, it almost feels like a full season ago, and that game – he was 11 for, for 18 for 154 yards. If you go back to last year, he was 13 for 28 and 13 for 26. So 50% and under in his completion percentage. Belichick did a good job of scheming, and he wasn't the same player that hopefully he is right now. In 2018, his rookie year, we all remember that game, the two interceptions, under 50%, yep. you name it. So for me, my key is 
is Brian Dable going to go back to this ground and pound game that we used and we used with some success against New England? They had trouble stopping the run. Or are we the Buffalo Bills now that can just go out there, flaunt our chest, and be able to throw it on anybody at any time and not be scared of that and have to play a certain way to win a game? That's my question. That's my key. Is Dable going to be able to have the confidence to, to do that? And if Allen can go for 300, if Allen can have that success, I really think that is a psychological monkey off of his back as we go into this division. That's a great – I actually really like that one. And it's it's also probably a nice um, feather in the cap for Dable to try to do it against his own boss who he learned under, so I do like that one. My other one, I know these are all sound basic, but stay disciplined. You know what I mean? It's. I said this before Denver too, and us – we gave Denver life by that turnover. So you have to limit penalties, have to limit turnovers. New England is best in the NFL with with only 52 penalties. Buffalo second worst with 96. New England has the fourth most interceptions in the NFL. Um, J.C. What's his name? J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson has turned into a ball hawk Good. machine. Ball hawk machine. He is probably in place to step in for Stephon Gilmer as their number one corner next year. Um, but again, like I said. Don't let them stick around with stupid stuff like penalties and turnovers. You got to stay disciplined because, I guess, who are, like I guess Jerry Hughes would be the only one that live you know that was that's been around long enough to really hate the Pats and the beatdown they put on us. But um, I I think everyone really hates the Patriots if you're not a Patriot. So that'll be my key, my bold take. I think the Bills break the touchdown record for receiving touchdowns in a season. I think Singletary gets one from Allen. I think now call me crazy. Or, I think that they know that record, and that's why they had so many linemen going out for passes toward the end of that game. I think Dable absolutely knows that record. He had Ryan Bates going out for one. He had Ty Naseki go out for one. Bates, how funny is it Bates got an offensive pass interference um, this last week? Yeah. So I think they find a way to get Singletary open in space near in the red zone, and he takes it in. And I also think he runs for over 75 yards. So it's going to be a big motor Singletary day. I think the Bills whomp the Patriots. 36-13, and it, that officially puts the final nail in the coffin of the Patriots dynasty. I know you love saying that. Here's my question for you. I kind of, in my point, I said that we need to be able to throw the ball. Your score prediction um, suggests that we're going to throw it a lot. Do you think our yeah. run pass percentage is going to be, what do you think? I think that, uh, I think it's going to be six they're still gonna this offense is a passing offense it's still gonna be it's gonna be 60 40 but they're gonna they're still gonna find ways to run the ball I, I don't think this defense is very good I think call me crazy and maybe I'm wrong because I how prestigious Bill Belichick is as a coach I think this team's gonna quit down down the stretch here being in a losing situation for the first time in all these players careers that would be a lot of fun my prediction is 30 to 19 and and I'll, my disagreement is I think it's going to be a Zach Moss game. I think we're going to get him going. I see him getting 15 carries. I think they want to see what they have in him, a super physical runner. As we get into cold weather, it's going to be a little chilly, Dan, playoff games. Yep. I, I would like to see if – yeah, I don't know. Here, I have a question. Would you take – how am I going to word this so it's, it's, actually, it's actually meaningful? How about this? Would you take a how about okay, I got one. Would you take a sloppy Josh Allen game where Belichick makes him look kind of dumb, but Tyler Bass kicks a game winning fifty yard field goal in his first pressure situation as a kicker before the playoffs? 
as opposed to as opposed to just like a 36-13 win that we we go into the playoffs with Tyler Bass never kicking a pressure kick. I'll, I'm going to stick with the 36 to whatever win, and Allen looks good, and I, I want that. You know, I really think that I want that monkey off the back the, the back for Josh Allen. I agree. T Bass is money. Does I, I got He's full fine. faith in him. He's a Georgia. He's a Southern Georgia boy. Southern yeah. man. <laughs> Perfect. All right, so we both have the Bills winning. Hopefully we have a victory podcast coming up. But right now, speaking of victory, this guy did a lot of winning back in the day. We are going to send it over to former UB Bull quarterback, Drew Willie. Here we go! This interview is brought to you by Arista Networks. Arista Networks is an industry leader in campus, Wi-Fi, data center, and cloud computing. Learn more about Arista at arista.com. The shotgun. He gets the snap. He sets up. He throws into the end zone. Ball up in the air. It is caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. The Bulls win. Do you believe it? Joining us today is our Buffalo Sports Blast from the past is former UB Bulls quarterback who stands second all-time in career passing yards and touchdowns, first in single-season passing yards, and also led UB to their first and only bowl game win in 2008 drew willie drew we hope you are staying safe during this time and thank you so much for taking time to hop on buckets and dan yeah absolutely i appreciate you guys having me so um yeah no a pleasure to be here and um yeah looking forward to the interview hey drew buckets here i want to kind of go back to where it all began for you in randolph new jersey when did your love for football begin maybe who influenced you maybe who influenced you and were you a quarterback from the time you started playing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, started when I was around eight years old, um, enjoyed the game. Uh, I think I actually first tried soccer, didn't really enjoy that. Um, then started playing, uh, I think I was a receiver first and then a running back. And then, uh, I think around seventh grade, I think I was just throwing the ball around the field and could throw it farther than any of the other kids. So they were like, let's put him at quarterback. And, was one of the bigger kids and uh, ended up working out pretty well. So um, definitely, uh, you know, wanted to play quarterback and uh, got the chance in seventh grade and then kind of ran with it. You end up leaving as the all-time leader in Randolph High School history in both passing yards and touchdowns. So what schools, what colleges were you looking at? What made you eventually land on UB? Um, Alan Mogridge, he recruited me, uh, to Buffalo. He was my recruiting coordinator. Um, we always had a good bond throughout the, uh, recruiting process. Uh, I was looking at a number of schools, uh, whether it was in the big East or, um, some of the, uh, one double a schools like, uh, uh, New Hampshire, and then a few other Mac schools as well as temple, um, et cetera. So, um, there were a bunch of schools that were involved, um, and there's a few schools that ended up, their coaches ended up getting fired or leaving. So um, ended up with UB. Uh, obviously didn't know too much about it until I came on my recruiting visit. Um, got to meet some of the guys that were going to come in the same class as me. Uh, you know, Coach Mogert said be able to compete uh, from the get-go. So that was definitely intriguing for me. Um, but at the same time, didn't know too much about Buffalo before I came up on my official visit. And, um, you know, I ended up there just really because of Alan Mogridge and the way he sold me on the program and the ability to compete at a, at a, at a young age. 
Yeah, and your freshman year, I mean, from a team standpoint, was certainly a struggle with a 1-10 in 10 record. Um, but then there's a changing at the guard, and Turner Gill gets hired as coach. You guys go 2-10 and 10 your sophomore season. But how did the program change when Turner Gill took over? And also, Turner Gill's a former guest at Buckets and Dan. Oh, nice. Yeah, Turner. Yeah, we actually have a very, obviously a very close relationship. So, um, you know, he's been huge in my career through football. Um, yeah, when he got there, it's just kind of a no-nonsense, um, you know, made us believe in ourselves and uh, in the program in general. Uh, you know, just the littlest things, you know, being more accountable uh, really went a long way in the program. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously it takes time to, to build a program, and uh, he did a, you know, a terrific job with the talent that we already had there and then bringing in some key pieces as well. So um, did a great job molding the coaching staff to uh, be able to teach in the way they did to make us successful. So, uh, yeah, hats off to Turner. Uh, he, you know, did a tremendous job at Buffalo, and, you know, we'll always have a special relationship. Drew, the team keeps improving. You go 5-7 and seven your junior year, and then comes your senior season in 2008. It's a magical one for local football fans. Starts really with a week three win versus Temple. You guys fall behind 28-24 with 38 seconds left. You lead the team down and complete a 35-yard Hail Mary to Buffalo native and former Buckets and Dan guest, Naaman Roosevelt, to win the game at the buzzer. Walk us through that last minute and the euphoria you felt after that win. Yeah, uh, obviously everybody likes to talk about that game. So uh, special, special moment in UB history. But uh, yeah, Temple had gone up. Um, obviously scored a touchdown, but then they kicked the ball out of bounds. So we got good field position there uh, at the forty-yard line. I believe I hit Naaman on like a little short, uh, short in slant kind of route. Got some good yardage there, and then uh, we were able to get another play, and then. Um, you know, we, we really just had – we practiced it throughout the year. Uh, we used to call it Big Ben. Uh, kind of a sprint protection to the right, block off the backside. Um, you know, one of the big things was it wasn't extreme an extremely far throw. So, my uh, quarterback coach, Danny Barrett, he kind of told me, he's like, hey, listen, don't throw it out of bounds. It's not – you know, you, you got plenty of arm to get it there. So, um, sometimes when you're juiced up in those moments, you just – you know, you throw it as far as you can and – Really, the big thing was to get enough height on the ball so Naaman could judge it. Um, I knew if I could do that, Naaman's probably, if not the best, one of the best I've ever played with to be able to judge the ball as a receiver. Um, I think that's an underrated skill as a receiver. So um, I knew if I gave him a shot at it, um, he would he would go up and get it. So um, hats off to him. Protection was great. And, uh, you know, it was huge momentum in our season. Yeah, before we move on from that, Drew, you're talking to two of probably the most unclutch athletes you'll ever meet. They used to call me lawn chair in college because I'd fold whenever there was any pressure in intramural sports. So as as the quarterback, just walk me through the kind of patience and leadership you need to show. And does that come with experience? Is that just something that you've always felt you're a natural leader? Talk about like what it's like leading the huddle in those moments. Yeah, I mean, I've always been <laughs> – I've always played well in the big moments um, when the game's on the line, even in, I think it was 2014 up in the CFL. I think we had the most comeback victories up there that season. So um, it's just never panicking. You're never out of it uh, until the game's over. Uh, just, you know, trying to stay calm, cool, and collected. You know, I know it's a little cliche, but at the same time, when when the leaders and any, and I use it in business now, if you're not panicking and kind of, you know, showing any stress, 
no one else is going to get stressed and panicked. So uh, even if even if uh, there is some issues going on, you got to realize that everybody's looking at you as a quarterback and body posture, the way you kind of vocalize your voice, uh, it's all important. So and Turner Gill was huge in uh, helping me achieve those goals because um, one of the first things we ever did was, you know, we he looked at some, you know, different pictures or you know, TV versions of me as a freshman. He said, you know, we got to improve your body posture and things like that. And I was kind of like, you know, what is he, what is he talking about? But then you realize as you mature, get more experience, you know, start talking to different guys on the team, all that stuff's important, the way you communicate. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important today in my everyday life. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it all comes to fruition, but, uh, it, it, uh, it's definitely a process. And obviously the more experience you get always helps as well. You know, you've been in certain situations, so you, you realize, Oh yeah, we were there last week. We can do this again. Definitely a life skill, and the team goes on to finish eight and six that year. It's the first time they're above five hundred since joining D one single A in 90, 1999. and they win their first. You guys win you first and only MAC championship in school history. You end up beating twelfth ranked and undefeated Ball State, a massive upset. You guys, it was a close game at the half. You end up outscoring them thirty five fourteen the second. Talk about what was said in the locker room and how against an undefeated team you guys still played with so much confidence. Yeah, I mean we we knew we could play with Ball State. Obviously they were a really good team that year and uh they had a lot of a lot of good players. But um, you know, we came back in so many games that year. Um, even if we were down at a certain stance, you know, we knew we could come back and win. So um anytime you can get a couple defensive turnovers, that's gonna, you know, up your chances of winning that game. So uh, you know, it really came down to who took took care of the ball and then, you know, made the plays when they were there. And, uh, you know, we were really efficient on offense in that game. And then also our defense creates two turnovers for touchdowns. It's, it's going to be tough to lose games like that. Yeah, Mike Newton and Shrod Lott, 92 and 74 yards respectively. Drew, when you look at that team, it's you, Peter Bittner, Starks, Naaman, Brett Hamlin, who I, I know I told Naaman that, I, I used to write B-A-W-B on my wrist like he did because he was the man. Then you got Devontae Shannon, Mike Newton, <laughs> Dom Cook, Andre Smith on the line. You look at the success that your team and the program had to that point. Now looking at where the team is now, a 10-win season. They're ranked for the first time. Do you kind of look back and take pride in your group being the, the first relevant and successful group in Bulls history? Yeah, definitely take a lot of pride in it. Um, you know, a lot of us came in and played at an early age, and we took our lumps together. Uh, there were a lot of tough games those freshman and sophomore years, but um, you realize it's all building towards uh, a, a successful program. So um, definitely take a lot of pride in it. Very proud of the team um, consistently being, you know, one of the upper echelon teams now in the MAC. Uh, it's always fun to see now, uh, you know, obviously being ranked for the first time. Uh, that's cool to see. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of great things happening in the program. And uh, to be one of the teams that kind of started it off is always going to be special. So, uh, you know, hats off to those guys that are doing it now. But, you know, I feel real proud about the guys that we did it with back in uh, 08. And I know you weren't one of the local guys, but one thing I do love about that team is there was a bunch of local guys. And, and one friend of the show is uh, Peter Bittner. So I got to ask you, Drew, what was it like? What was Peter like as a teammate, and what was he like as an offensive lineman? I know he was sturdy as hell. He started, I think, more games than anyone. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, Pete Bittner is definitely one of those consistent uh, workers. I don't know if he ever missed the practice, honestly. I mean, he was always so solid. Uh, that's that's a huge, 
piece, like uh, just being on football teams. Anybody that plays football will tell you those guys that can stay on the field consistently. Um, you just know every week you plug in your depth chart. You know you have <laughs> you have your offensive lineman right there. That's that's huge. So um, yeah, no, he was always consistent. Always a great player. And uh, we were lucky to have him because, uh, you know, he always he was always saying, Drew, what can I do, to, you know, to, to give you a little bit more time? What can I do to, you know, help you out on this play? And, uh, you know, I really never had to say much because I knew he would give, you know, 100% on every play. So, uh, yeah, no, huge, huge piece to our success. And, uh, you know, all those guys on the offensive line did a great job that year. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, th- it's really bringing back some memories in my head right now just thinking about it. So, uh, no, it's <laughs> awesome to see that, uh, yeah, Pete is a – frequent guest for you guys and uh you know i hope he's doing real well yeah and i gotta ask you you know a couple weeks ago i'm sure you follow the team enough when you find out that they become ranked and i know dan just kind of talked about it a little bit but was it was it a time where you just were able to maybe maybe reconnect with some old teammates have you have you talked with old teammates about the current ub team since their really huge rise over the past few weeks yeah, I mean, I, I'm in a bunch of different group texts with different guys that I've played with at UB, but um, definitely, definitely been more uh, conversation and communication the past few weeks um, with the UB football and throughout the the MAC championship game uh, recently. We were we were all texting back and forth throughout the game. So uh, anytime you can have those conversations and catch up with guys that you either played with or um, you know are still in contact with, because there's a bunch of that are still in contact with. Um, you know, it's hard to keep in contact with a hundred different guys, but, uh, obviously there's certain, you know, relationships and bonds you make with guys through the year, whether you came in together or, you know, you just had a relationship like mine and Naaman's where, you know, quarterback receiver, um, relationship ended up playing up in the CFL. We have a lot of the same, uh, same mutual, uh, friends as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's special for sure. Let's bring it back to you, Drew. You Finish at UB, you kick around on a few NFL squads before taking your talents up north to Canada for the CFL, play seven years there. Talk about your experience in the CFL, maybe the biggest differences, and what you enjoyed most about it. Yeah, no, CFL is a great league. Um, Yeah, bounced around the NFL there for a little bit, whether it was practice squad, active, inactive, cut. Um, (laughs) I mean, it it was definitely a uh, roller coaster ride for sure. And then uh, to be able to play and start up there up in Canada, um, obviously had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. I mean, it's it's one of those things as if you play long enough, you're going to have both. So, um, yeah, I mean, you didn't, you know, finish how I wanted to finish exactly. But at the same time, a lot of great moments, a lot of great plays up there. But CFL, yeah, tremendous league. Um, you know, it's hard to compare to anything to the NFL. But if you're a quarterback, you go up there and throw it around with the bigger field. Um, you're going to get your chance up there. And it's a fun league. There's a lot of great talent up there, a lot of good coaches, and the Canadian people are great. So, um, you know, it's, it's a shame that it was canceled this year. But at the same time, they, they have a lot going for them with the, uh, just the culture and the game up there. Were you, able, were you ever able to link up with Neyman Roosevelt, or were you always on opposite teams? Uh, we were always on opposite team. We I played for Saskatchewan before he did, but uh, I was always telling their personnel department, he's the guy you want because I think he was on the Bills, I believe so, or mm-hmm. bouncing around yep. maybe in the NFL a little bit, different places. But uh, I was always telling him, keep your eye on Naaman uh, and a bunch of other UB guys I was telling them about. But, um, yeah, no, we uh, we know a lot of the same people, obviously, that we played for up in the CFL. And now that he's uh, re-signed to Montreal, uh, obviously I've been there before too, so. 
I uh, know a lot of the same people and, um, you know, it would have been great to play with them. I got a chance to play with Ernest and, um, you know, me and Ernest did a lot of good things together too up there. So, uh, just proud of both those guys, uh, being, um, you know, my top receivers along with Brett and, uh, you know, Jesse and, uh, you know, being able to have James in the backfield, it was a special group in college and, you know, it was, uh, fun to see some of them, uh, take that success to the next level in professional football. So, Drew, you are – I know you're not necessarily old or anything, but you are our blast from the past this week. So tell our fans what you're up to now and maybe your fondest memories of your career at UB. Uh, well, I'm in a sales role right now, doing pretty well, um, you know, just in, in the business world in general. Uh, obviously new to me, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's a new career, but it's going well. So I can't complain. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to play 10 years professionally, um, start four years in college. So, um, you know, you can always say what if this, this, and that panned out. But, uh, you know, very happy with uh, my career in general. But um, some of the fondest UB memories, got to be obviously that senior year. Um, you know, just all the comebacks, all the uh, the Bowling Green comeback to get to the um, MAC championship and clinch a spot in that, um, to win the MAC championship, to go to a bowl game. Um, all that comes to mind. Uh, then, you know, you miss all the little locker room, um, you know, conversations, just all the, you know, all the, uh, even all the goofing around that goes on with the team and just the bonds and memories you make. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to compare in everyday world that, that uh, locker room bond that you have with guys in, in, in college sports, professional sports. And usually when you talk to guys, that's the things they miss the most, the, uh, the bonds and the memories. I was, uh, I was a, I was a younger younger guy when we were watching you play, like going through seventh and eighth grade and high school. And my dad would always take us to Elmo's before your games, before we went and watched you guys play. I got to ask you if you were to come back to Buffalo, or if you ever planned to, what would be the first spot you would go to eat? I mean, Elmo's has got to be right up there. I mean, <laughs> I know uh, a lot of other guys that enjoy their wings as well. We were when we were there for their ten year reunion. Uh, we went there. I think it was the day before the spring game so um or no the day before the uh i think it was the army game so uh yeah no almost yeah. right at the top for me obviously great wings um <laughs> you know eating in buffalo i can gain, definitely gain some weight they got so, so many good food spots uh it uh always is a place that uh you're gonna find good food that's for sure i don't want to end on a sour note but talk about you know maybe the disappointment level of watching the, the, the Mac championship this year, it almost, I saw some tweets that it was almost ball state won this game kind of similar to how you guys beat them in 2008. You know, UB was heavily favored. Um, but just your general impressions from watching that game. And then, you know, are you going to watch the, the, the bowl game against Marshall on Christmas day? Yeah, obviously you're definitely going to watch the, uh, the bowl game on Christmas. I saw that came out and I was like, huh, that's, that's interesting on Christmas. Uh, Obviously, anytime you get to go to a bowl game, they're all they're all great. And um, the fact that it's in is it's in Montgomery, correct? If I'm correct yes. me if I'm wrong, but being uh, not too far away. But then I was kind of thinking, I was like, oh yeah, there's probably not going to be any fans with COVID. <laughs> so um, yeah, so but yeah, watch going back to the game. I mean, definitely sometimes comes down to a few plays. Obviously, you know, a strip fumble for a touchdown. It's you know that ball pops right up. It's kind of unlucky. But, you know, we, we were fortunate in our 2008 to get a break like that as well. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where 
sometimes the game don't go, you know, how you, how you expect it to. That's why they play the games. But, uh, yeah, you know, I still have a lot of pride in our program. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure those guys definitely want the game back and wish that could be Mac champs. But at the same time that, you know, they were undefeated going into it, they got a lot to be proud of proud about and uh they should hold their heads high and uh you know take it out on marshall on uh, christmas day absolutely and that'll wrap it up thank you so much drew we appreciate you reminiscing with us it's always cool to talk to a ub legend like bill said i mean you were you were the, my first quarterback i led to a championship in ncaa the video game so at least you have that going for you <laughs> yeah and uh and Hey, Drew, I want to say this. I, I really believe this. I think you walked so Joe Licata and Tyree Jackson can yep. run. Yeah, you really did. You have a special spot in this team's history, so you should be very proud of that, and we really appreciate you coming on. All right, appreciate it, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Drew Willie. As I said, Drew Willie crawled so Joe Licata could walk so Tyree Jackson can run. Heck of an interview, heck of a guy. I'm happy that he was able to join us and reminisce on those great UB days in 2008 and such like that. So, Dan, as we always do it, we're going to get into our fantasy fling of the week. Before I do that, a lot of people have been asking me on Twitter, did you beat Andrew Samer in that big matchup? And this is heartbreak. I, I'm such a loser that I actually lost sleep Sunday night because I failed to recognize, probably because I was out so late at the Bills airport, that Zeke wasn't playing, so I played Sony Michelle over Tony Pollard, and that equaled a loss, even though I scored 200-plus over the heavily favored Samer. I had Singletary go off. I had everything happening in my favor. He had Keenan Allen. But at the end of the day, talent won. Talent prevailed. So good luck to Samer in the Dynasty Championship. In my other league, I am in the championship and heavily favored to win. Um, over front of the show, Sunday Sauce, Vito Russo. So, Dan, this is our, this our last This is our last fantasy fling of the year, then. This is our last fantasy fling of the year. And uh, last week you had T.Y. Hilton, four for 71. I mean, serviceable. Serviceable, yep. How about I you finally kind of hit? You finally kind of hit on these backup tight ends. <laughs> hey, kind of hit for me. I had Jordan Akins. Uh, he went five for 50. And, again, I'm speaking to the blue-collar guy right now. <laughs> Your tight end is out. Kittle's not going to return, whatever, whatever it may be. You're scratching at the waiver wire. You don't have a chance for this guy if you're in a dynasty league. But if you're not, he's probably floating around out there. And that's Chicago's. Cole Komet playing Jacksonville. I think Trubisky's going to find him early and often. I'm expecting six for 53 and a touchdown. So that that that'll do something for you. I don't know if this is if this is going to be a real big you know eye opener here for fantasy folk, but it seems pretty obvious to play him. I'm just more interested to see how he does in the lead back role. Le'Veon Bell with Clyde Edward Clyde Edwards Hilaire going down with a high ankle sprain this past week. I think they're going to shred Atlanta to begin with, but can they get Bell enough reps and enough, I guess, involvement in the offense for him to be the lead back once the playoffs hit? Because that'll be that'll be a big thing, and they got him for a reason. So we kind of mocked – a lot of Bills fans mocked out him going and just sitting the bench for Kansas City, but now it's really proved it's worth it. They had a veteran running back ready to go if their lead guy went down. So it looks like a very shrewd, smart pickup by the Kansas City Chiefs. And, Dan, who's our fantasy fling brought to us by? Oh, that's Buffalo Boutique Boards. You want to tell us a little bit about Buffalo Boutique Boards? Well, you know, Buffalo Boutique Boards, you got a lot of, you know, you're going to be staying in this holiday. You know, you're, you're, the, the, you're probably not feeling bad about eating because, you know, socializing, you're caught out, consuming alcohol and such. So, so you're hitting your vices in other ways, and that's meat and cheese. And, and that's brought to us by Amanda over at Buffalo Boutique Boards. And, Dan, you know 
that you we can put it on the can bu- put it on oh, the bu- no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I screwed. You're a little off because the Zoom. Go ahead, try it again. I'll, I'll just join in. And Dan, you know that you can put, put it on, on the, the board. board. Yes. yes. All right. And that good. probably woke up Miss Emily, but that's okay. You can <laughs> shop around Buffalo Boutique boards. You tell them buckets and Dan sent you. All right. I got our NFL game we're most excited to watch. First of all, Bill, what a, what a slate we have this weekend. What a lovely slate of games. We have a Christmas Day game along with the UB bowl game that we have the saints and vikings then we have three games saturday we have a bunch of games sunday and then the bills on monday give feed me that that sounds fantastic i'm gonna go with two games for the bills to clinch so i'm gonna go with indy pitt and tennessee green bay again if indianapolis and tennessee win then the bills go into monday night wait did i say green bay if yep. the Packers and Colts win, then we go into Monday night looking to clinch the two seed headed into the last week of the year. What are you going with? Tennessee still not the team I want to play. I'm going to go with Dallas and Philly. Um, see what Jalen Hurts can do in game three. I think it's just an interesting concept. And Dallas is Dallas is playing better. They had a good game against San Francisco. And winner of that game has a chance still to win the East. But Washington seems to have a stranglehold on that division right now. How funny is it that? After all that, Washington could be in a position to rest starters week 17. That's, it's so strange. And, Dan, wild. Dan, I want to get into this, and I got a question for you before I ask for your prediction. The Friday-Christmas day game, it's going to be a fun day of football. You got UB. You also got basketball. It's a big traditional day for the NBA. So it's going to be a fun sports day, good day to stay home. Um, you probably watched bits and pieces of the Saints-Chiefs, games, Saints-Chiefs game last week. Drew Brees. I mean, how shot is this guy, him and Ben? Do either of these guys, Big Ben, Brees, see the field in 2021, beginning of the year? Think about the NFL hierarchy turnover within two years, two and at the most three years, with Big Ben, Brees, Rivers, and Brady all retiring. So it is wild to think that Josh Allen could be on that present day you know, elite level of the, what these guys were. And maybe he can have the long, um, illustrious career that these guys have. But it is wild. It's kind of sad to see it because I, 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 I wanted Breeze to go out on top. Kind of like it, to me, and I, I don't know if you feel this way, if the Bills don't win the Super Bowl, I want I want Green Bay or New Orleans winning it. I love Aaron Rodgers and I love Drew Breeze. So, and I would say more so New Orleans just so he can go out um, on top. So, it is kind of sad, but you're right. I mean, he they, he looks like a shell of himself, which is sad. I, I don't see how him or Ben – I know Ben said he's going to continue he's, to play next year. I don't he, see it happening. I don't – I, and that's such an awkward position to put with you know, like team. The, the team. Yeah, so that that's sad. Hopefully we don't have to worry about that for 20 more years. Um, so let's let's wrap it up here. I want to thank our guest, our Buffalo Sports Blast from the past year, Willie. I want to thank the Buff, the Daily Buffalo – 716 for letting us be a partner podcast and the Buffalo Fanatics for letting us be a contributor. And I want to wish you, Bill, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you as well. But, Dan, we cannot let you go because I know there are hundreds of listeners just waiting and waiting. It's Christmas Eve, and they're waiting for our Christmas Day predictions. We talked about Breeze, but we did not give our Christmas Day predictions. Oh, I have the Vikings in an upset. 17-16. I think it's going to be low scoring, a strange game, a lot of turnovers, but Minnesota, the more desperate team, gets the win. 
I think Breeze bounces back a little bit. I think they try to tailor the game plan around him, even th mixing in Taysom Hill a little more. I think they win 26-20 over the Vikings. So, if if that you had anything else you want to add to uh to the podcast or listeners or anything, Bill? Just hey, you know we we got a chance. I know it's been heavily rumored on 2021 if this podcast will see it through to the new year. Um, I will say it's it's quite a great time. It's this holiday season to have a Christmas Eve special. We had a Thanksgiving Eve special, and we're going to cap off 2020. Oh, wait till you hear the blast from the past that we have on Dan's birthday, yep. December 31st, our New Year's Eve episode 36 special. Yeah, I'll give you a hint. He's a former Buffalo Bills tight end, one of the best in franchise history. So that'll be next week. We're really looking forward to that. Like I said, Bill, I, I wish nothing but the best for you and your family over the holiday uh, weekend here. Same thing with our listeners. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. I love you, Mom. I know who